the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Monday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. James Blend is producing. He engineered a moment or two of the program. But our stalwart engineer, Sam Maupin, is here as well. Today we're going to uh, share a classic interview with Ray Comfort. Why would anyone follow Jesus? Twelve resources to trust what the Bible says about Jesus. And um, we're also going to talk about the uh, death of the lemon test that returns religious expression to America. We'll talk about turning the basic nature of parenting upside down. Uh, And a reporter is warning that Stanford um, law students' free speech double standard could go mainstream uh, as they are going to be the next generation of lawyers and judges. All of that coming up in today's program. We'll take a look also at the headline uh, news as well. Well, Xi Jinping said China was ready with Russia to stand guard over the world order based on international law. That's a direct quote as he landed in Moscow for a state visit days after Vladimir Putin was made the subject of an arrest warrant by the International Criminal Court. Well, the Chinese leader is expected to position himself as a potential peacemaker in Ukraine, um, at least in the Ukraine war, during his uh, first state visit to Russia since Putin's invasion. For his part, the Russian president will be hoping to project unity in the face of Western uh, isolation. A military brass band greeted Xi at Moscow's uh, airport, where he was welcomed by Russia's deputy prime minister for tourism, sport, culture and communication. Uh, I am very glad at the invitation of President Vladimir, uh, um, gave his full name, Putin, to come back to the land of our close neighbor on a state visit, Xi said upon arriving. According to Russia's state-run TASS news agency, I am confident the visit will be fruitful and give new momentum to the healthy and stable development of Chinese-Russian relations, end quote. Well, Xi added that together with Russia, China was ready to resolutely defend the UN-centric international system, stand guard over the world order based on international law, end quote. Well, the two leaders spoke briefly at a press conference on Monday at the Kremlin before an informal meeting. We have thoroughly studied your proposal on Uh, Regulating the acute crisis in Ukraine, of course, we will have uh, an opportunity to discuss them, Putin told Xi, referring to China's peace plan for dealing with the war in Ukraine. We are always open to negotiations, the Russian leader added. Xi, in turn, praised Putin's strong leadership and said he was sure the Russian people would support him in the presidential election next year. Hmm. Well, the Russian leader has not yet formally announced he's running for president, and the Kremlin on Monday was quick to deny Xi had inside knowledge about Putin's plans, but I think anyone on the world uh, surface would agree that he's very likely to run. On Monday evening, the two leaders will have a six-course meal that includes Russian crepes with quail and mushrooms and fish, pomegranate sorbet, according to a menu published by a state media journalist. Formal talks are scheduled for tomorrow. Xi's visit comes three days after uh, Putin was made the subject of an arrest warrant by the International Criminal Court for overseeing the abduction of Ukrainian children, sending Russian 
uh, Russia, rather, another significant step on the path to becoming a pariah state. And two days after he made a surprise visit to the occupied city of Maripol in an apparent show of defiance toward the courts and the West in general. I saw some uh, pictures of that visit and many are speculating that this was not Vladimir Putin, but someone standing in for him. The picture showed some significant differences in facial structure. Whether or not that's valid, I couldn't say. In any event, in further symbolic gesture of defiance, Russia's investigative committee said on Monday that it had opened a criminal case against the ICC prosecutor and judges who issued the warrant. Well, during a media briefing on Monday, the Chinese Foreign Ministry spokesperson Wang Winbin, he called on the ICC to avoid politicization rather, and double standards. Russia is framing Xi's visit, his first since securing an unprecedented third term this month, as proof that it has not been isolated by the global community as the war in Ukraine, now in its 13th month, drags on. Meanwhile, President Joe Biden vetoed a bill for the first time in his presidency on Monday, arguing that the legislation was overly uh, influenced by MAGA Republicans. The Republican-led legislation prevented Biden's administration from taking environmental, social and corporate governance, ESG issues into account when making investment decisions. GOP lawmakers argue that ESG is a measure of a corporate's loyalty to a woke cultural movement and should not be taken into account. I just vetoed my first bill, the president said. This bill would risk your retirement savings by making it illegal to consider risk factors MAGA House Republicans don't like. Now, ESG is not a financial risk factor, but this was a quote. Your plan manager should be able to protect your hard-earned savings, whether Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene likes it or not, Biden announced in a Monday tweet. Now, it's a rather interesting statement, given the fact that the very objection that the Republicans had uh, to the uh, president's plan was that it was based on ideology and rather not financial Um, stability. Well, the bill specifically ended enforcement of a new Labor Department rule that urged private retirement plan fiduciaries to consider ESG in their investment decisions. Under the rule, fiduciaries that make investment decisions for the retirement plans of more than 150 million people would be explicitly permitted under federal guidelines to consider companies' approach to climate change and other social issues. Whether or not that would fill out your retirement account instead of focusing on only profitability and return on investment for retirees. Senator Joe Manchin blasted the president for the veto on Monday, saying Biden was placing radical social agendas over the American people. Well, here in the state of Oregon, House Bill 2002 uh, held a hearing today, and many from Oregon Right to Life and other pro-life organizations weighed in. Putting children at risk and shielding abortion providers was the primary objection. House Bill 2002 is a radical expansion of abortion targeted at children. It requires abortion providers to withhold information from a child's parents if she has an abortion. It also allows the provision of abortion to children regardless of age. This bill severely undermines parents' rights and exposes children to abuse. Well, the hearing was held earlier today. It was scheduled for 3 o'clock p.m. this afternoon. Um, and currently only the state, uh, well, I won't go into the, the details, but what does the bill do? 
It targets minors separating vulnerable children from their parents. This is a pattern we're seeing all across the country on a variety of issues. It eliminates any age of consent requirements for reproductive health care, which includes abortion. It requires written permission from a child of any from a child of any age in order for a parent to know what reproductive uh, reproductive health services, including abortion, are provided by a health care provider. A pharmacist is authorized to provide abortion pills without regard to the age of the person. It adds legal protections for abortion providers while removing protections for health care providers considered to be an agent of the public body. Now, I need to take a break, but we'll continue to work our way through some of the other elements of this legislation. House Bill 2002, and we'll be back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up later in the 5 o'clock hour, a conversation with Ray Comfort. Why would anyone follow Jesus? And we'll also talk about the death of the lemon t- uh, test, rather, not the taste, but the test that returns religious expression to America. Uh, we'll get into some other major issues that have significant impact on the practice of faith as well. I was talking before the break about House Bill 2002. It's a radical expansion of abortion uh, targeted at children. It requires abortion providers to withhold information from a child's parent if she has an abortion. It also allows the provision of abortion to um, children regardless of age, 10, 11, 12, 16. The bill severely undermines parents' rights and exposes children to abuse. Today was the first Hearing on said legislation, again, House Bill 2002. In addition, it adds legal protections for abortion providers while removing protections for health care providers considered to be an agent of a public uh, a public body. It protects a provider who violated the law in that other state as long as it was related to providing reproductive health care from that information being given to an Oregon employer. So someone who has broken the law, offended Uh, The people in one state, that doesn't have to be uh, communicated in the state of Oregon, as long as you're performing abortions. It establishes a gag order on public entities that prevents sharing information about ethical or legal violations. Any So are we interested in protecting the people or simply having access to and protecting the reputations of those who have... um, violated the law or have been unethical in their practice. Any religious exemption request by an employee must be made in writing. Attorneys' fees and costs from lawsuits may only be awarded to the plaintiff and includes provisions designed to limit the speech of health care professionals. In addition, House Bill 2002 expands funding for abortions, targeting rural areas and higher education. It creates a taxpayer-funded program providing chemical abortions at student health centers at higher education facilities, including community colleges. So you're underwriting the abortions of college students. It creates a new pilot program to provide uh, grants to two rural federally qualified health centers, or FQHCs, to offer abortions. It infringes on fundamental freedoms. It creates crimes of interfering with a health care facility that is clearly designed to discourage pro-life prayer vigils and advocacy outside of an abortion clinic. So it infringes on fundamental um, freedoms for you to express yourself at the distance the law requires in prayer or by simply um, providing some advocacy. So why do we oppose House Bill or why do I oppose House Bill 2002? It conflates abortion with contraception and miscarriage care in an effort to normalize ending the life of a developing human baby. 
It repeals the crime of concealing the birth of an infant, which may conceal cases of abuse and infanticide. It opens up health care providers' uh, lawsuits if they tell the parents about a child's abortion without the written consent of said child. And it prevents pharmacists from telling a parent they dispense medication to a minor of any age, which puts the minor in danger if there were complications. It expands taxpayer funding for abortions by converting abortion-free federal or FQHCs into abortion providers and requiring dispensing of abortion pills on every state college campus. And it shields unethical doctors from accountability for crimes they've committed as long as reproductive or gender reassignment services were involved. So if they um, broke the law, if they uh, did not uh, behave ethically as doctors, they are not held accountable as long as that unethical behavior is linked to reproductive or gender reassignment services, which is it's just such a breathtaking um, thought to me that they would be exempt as long as they're in this particular area where your minor uh, daughter can now have access to pills and an abortion without your consent or uh, without informing you until your 10 year old says, yeah, it's OK for mom to know. Tyler O'Neill wrote a piece pointing out that the president turned Christianity on its head with regard to gender ideology. He writes that gender ideology preys upon the young, convincing girls and boys that they were born in the wrong body and rushing them into experimental drugs, hormones and surgeries that will leave them stunted, scarred and infertile. Yet the ostensible Catholic who currently occupies the Oval Office not only supports this horror, but had the gall to condemn those who would protect children from it as sinful and cruel. The president slammed the Florida Health Department's efforts to prioritize counseling over medical transitions for children, calling these efforts close to sinful and cruel. The president emphasized the humanity of children who struggle with an identity at odds with their biological sex, saying they love, they have feelings, they have inclinations, as if it's to suggest that the Florida Health Department consider these kids as subhuman. The president didn't address Uh, the horrific outcomes of the transgender medical interventions, and we're talking about children, which Florida Governor Ron DeSantis' team highlighted in a gruesome yet revealing video responding to the president. Now, it was so gruesome that the media outlets who were there to cover the story declined to um, publish the information because it was, well, too gruesome. The president also didn't address the recent scandal in St. Louis, Missouri, in which the pro-transgender whistleblower claimed that a gender clinic rushed kids into medical transitions on extremely flimsy grounds. The president also didn't address Pope Francis' statement on Friday, three days before his remarks aired on Sunday, that the ideology of gender is one of the most dangerous ideological colonizations, denying the richness of men and women and of all humanity in the tension of the differences, end quote. Instead, the president adopted religious language to advance a cause directly opposite from the official teaching of the Roman Catholic Church to which he belongs, and from the witness of Scripture and Christian tradition for the past 2,000 years. He adopted the moral authority to declare sinful what Catholicism doesn't consider sinful, and to advocate a teaching that um, contradicts Genesis 1.27, thus turning Christianity on its head. Again, quoting Tyler O'Neill in his column, This moral inversion reminds me of a similar episode in my own life, While in D.C. one summer, I attended a service at Washington National Cathedral in which the priest preached against the sin of heterosexism, the sin of heterosexism. Christians must live out compassion, and we must remember as redeemed sinners ourselves 
not to strut about as if we were morally superior to those who struggle with different sins and temptations. Yet the notion that heterosexism is a sin doesn't just entail condemning an animus against people who struggle with same-sex attraction. It also suggests that the moral endorsement of heterosexual activity in certain contexts over homosexual activity is itself a violation of God's law. In this short statement, the priest compared historic Christian teaching on sexuality to racism and sexism. The priest suggested that the doctrine of marriage as the union of a male and female for life, which St. Paul describes as a mystery prefiguring the marriage of Christ and the church in Ephesians, traces back to ignorant animus against gays rather than the fundamental truth of the universe. It's hard to fathom the pride and disobedience of such a statement from a church leader. Similarly, the president's remarks defending experimental medical interventions for children in the name of a transgender identity appear to signal a political weaponization of his religious faith unmoored from its actual tenets. Only when the president's Catholicism became a political tool can he wield it to advance goals directly at odds with the basic tenets of his mother church. Besides Francis' condemnations of transgender ideology, the Bible speaks to gender issues, condemning cross-dressing in Deuteronomy 22, 1 Corinthians 11, and teaching that God created humans male and female. Both the Old and New Testaments urge believers to serve the orphan and the widow, and Jesus warns his disciples about children, saying that whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. The Bible doesn't directly weigh in on many political issues, but it strains credibility. It strains credulity to imagine that Jesus approves of telling children the lie that they are really members of the opposite sex and urging them to take experimental drugs with long term consequences to which they arguably cannot consent, setting them on a path of, to removing perfectly healthy organs. It's hard to imagine anything more cruel than that. China's Xi met with Vladimir Putin today in Moscow in an effort to weaken the U.S.'s standing. And California Governor Gavin Newsom is under pressure to take executive action rather on reparations if the California legislature doesn't act. And North Korea leader Kim Jong-un has called on his country to be ready to launch a nuclear attack to detour war as he accuses the U.S. and South Korea of carrying out military drills with American nuclear assets, according to state media. Kim's remarks carried on state media KCNA came after the Hermit Kingdom launched a short-range ballistic missile toward the sea on Sunday. The missile flew across the country and landed in the sea off its uh, east coast, according to the South Korean and Japanese assessments, which reported that the missile traveled a distance of about 500 miles. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be back to continue our march through headline news. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our second hour, Ray Comfort, Why Should Anyone Follow Jesus? The title of his book. Well, a federal judge today blocked enforcement of a decades-old California law that requires newly developed handguns to have particular safety features ruling the regulation overly stringent and a violation of the Second Amendment. California's Unsafe Hand, uh, Handgun Act, enacted in 2001, aims to prevent accidental discharges through various safety standards. The legislation mandates that certain handguns have a chamber load indicator and a magazine disconnect mechanism that prevents a handgun from being fired if the magazine is not fully inserted. To assist with gun crime investigations, the firearms also have to have a micro-stamping mechanism, which allows 
the transfer of microscopic imprints of the handgun's uh, make, model, and serial number onto shell casings when the gun is fired. These regulations are having a devastating impact on California's ability to acquire and use new state-of-the-art handguns. A federal district judge, uh, Carmack Carney, a George W. Bush appointee, wrote in his, um, his order, since 2013, when the micro-stamping requirement was introduced, not a single new semi-automatic handgun has been approved for sale in California, which I would argue is probably the point. Spring breakers have gathered near the southern border, seemingly unaware of safety concerns for both travel and crime happening near in Mex- nearby rather in Mexico. The U.S. mission to Mexico posted a fresh warning last week, noting that each year thousands of U.S. citizens visit the country during spring break. Among the various concerns ongoing in the country, the mission listed violent crime, drugs, unregulated alcohol and sexual assault. The mission also pointed to a travel advisory from October of last year in which the U.S. State Department warned against travel to six states while suggesting that Americans reconsider travel to another half dozen states in Mexico. Secretary of the Navy Carlos del Toro said he's seeing uh, fighting climate change as a top priority for the Navy as the Biden administration proposes shrinking the fleet by two ships and worries uh, grow about how the U.S. Navy stacks up to China's. Well, as the Secretary of the Navy, I can tell you that I have made climate one of my top priorities since the first day I came into office. Del Toro said, we view the climate crisis much the same way as the damage control efforts on a stricken ship. This is an all hands on deck moment, he added. Well, Del Toro spoke just days before the administration released its proposed budget for 2024, which calls for shrinking the naval fleet. Even though most military experts and senior Navy officers have called for more ships to deter China's larger fleet. But who knows better, the politicians or leaders in the military? For several years now, the Navy has set a goal of having 355 manned ships. But for the last three years, the Biden administration has proposed shrinking the fleet below the roughly 298 ships it has available now instead of increasing it toward the 355 ship goal. A reporter rightly warned that Stanford students' free speech double standard could become mainstream among lawyers and judges. And Libs of TikTok New York City book event for kids was canceled after receiving threats of unsafe behavior. Hmm. Uh, Trey Gowdy points out, and I should say warns, that uh, D.A. Alvin Bragg's politicized case against former President Trump risks the demise of our country. The president announced he believed he was going to be arrested within the next few days. Some are suggesting it may be as late as next week if this whole thing moves forward. Lawyer Robert Costello will testify against Michael Cohen's credibility in the Trump investigation and, in fact, did so earlier today. A leak late last week stated they were preparing to arrest Trump this week. The Associated Press reports that a lawyer who previously advised Michael Cohen, the key government witness in the hush money payment investigation into Donald Trump, has been invited to appear today before the Manhattan grand jury that is considered potential charges, considering potential charges against the former president, according to a person familiar with the matter. Robert Costello had advised Cohen and is prepared to offer testimony to the grand jury attacking his credibility, the credibility of his statements. He had uh, contacted a lawyer for Trump saying that he had information that contradicted Cohen's current statements and that could be exculpatory for the former president. The International Criminal Court has issued an arrest warrant for President Putin. The ICC uh, said Friday that it has issued a, an arrest warrant for President um, 
Russian President Vladimir Putin for war crimes, accusing him of personal responsibility for the abductions of children from Ukraine. It was the first time the global court has issued a warrant against a leader of one of the five permanent members of the U.N. Security Council. Its practical implications, however, could be limited as the chances of Putin facing trial with the uh, ICC are highly unlikely because Moscow does not recognize the court's jurisdiction or uh, extradite its national nationals. The director of diversity, equity and inclusion or DEI at a California college said she was harassed and bullied out of her job because she wanted to consider the perceptives, the perspectives of people from all races equally. Dr. Uh, Tabia Lee, who is black, told the New York Post that faculty at De Anza College in California labeled her a white supremacist after she pushed to create safe spaces for everyone. Lee said that during her review of for tenure, she was denied and will be out of a job on June 15th. On one occasion, Lee said she questioned why the school's communication capitalized black but not white. She pointed to recommendations from the National Association of Black Journalists, which advised that all racial groups should be capitalized. For that, I was accused of being a white supremacist, she says. These constant accusations of calling people racist or calling them a white supremacist or saying that they are aligned with right uh, wingers, that such ridiculousness is very damaging, said the now fired African-American professor. Elizabeth Warren is demanding Fed Chair Jerome Powell be replaced. The Massachusetts Democrat called for a new Federal Reserve chairman on Sunday as she lashed out at Jerome Powell's job performance. Appearing on several Sunday talk shows, Warren accused Powell of taking a flamethrower to regulations on big banks and failing to control inflation. In the wake of the Silicon Valley Bank collapse, Warren called for the Federal Reserve and Congress to impose more regulations. She also said that Powell should not be chairman of the Fed. Mexican President um, uh, Obrador patronized the U.S. on drug policy. Uh, He blames Americans' rampant fentanyl crisis on a lack of love. During a news conference, the uh, Mexican president claimed the deadly China-produced drug is taking over hundreds of thousands of American households because parents don't hug their children enough. Last year, over 10,000 pounds of fentanyl powder was found in the U.S., taking the lives of 700,000 Americans. The president repeatedly said that people in his country don't consume the drug, attributing it to Mexico's close-knit family values. He also called U.S. drug policies a failure. Wyoming Governor Mark Gordon signed an abortion bill ban. Uh, The Washington Examiner reports that the governor signed the bill on Friday that bans access to abortion pills and allowed a different bill that restricts abortion to go into effect. The new law claims that it will be unlawful to prescribe, dispense, distribute, sell or use any drug for the purpose of producing or procuring or performing an abortion. Breaking the uh, the new law, which will go into effect in July, is punishable by up to six months in prison and a fine of $9,000. Sam Bankman-Fried tried to sway a regulator to pass friendly legislation to help his firm just before its collapse. Disgraced ex-cryptocurrency kingpin Sam Bankman-Fried and his since-bankrupt company FTX scored a meeting with a top regulator and sought to sway them to adopt industry-friendly rules months before the exchange's historic collapse emails show. In May of last year, FTX pitched the Federal Deposit Insurance Company on why it was apparently poised to be a superior cryptocurrency exchange and was uh, swiftly granted a meeting with its chairman, Martin Grunberg. FTX was on a lobbying spree to gain influence in Washington before its November 2022 collapse. Two of Europe's largest banks have agreed to terms to avoid financial catastrophe. 
Credit Suisse, uh, the battered Swiss banking giant, has agreed to a takeover by Switzerland's largest bank, UBS, a move aimed at staving off immediate concerns of a disorderly bankruptcy and stemming panic about global financial turmoil. UBS has agreed to buy Credit Suisse in an emergency deal that ties up two of Europe's largest banks. Swiss authorities announced Sunday Swiss authorities are planning to speed up the process of by circumventing laws that would require a shareholder vote. The government is preparing emergency measures to fast track the takeover and plans to introduce legislation that will bypass the normal six weeks consultation period required by UBS shareholders. So the deal can be sealed immediately, according to sources. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Quick break. Be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our next hour, a conversation with Ray Comfort. Why would anyone follow Jesus? Reasons to trust what the Bible says about Jesus. We'll also talk about the death of the lemon test that returns religious expression to America, turning the basic nature of parenting upside down to cater to gender ideology. And a reporter warns Stanford Law students free speech double standard could go mainstream. All of that coming up in the second hour of today's program. A Louisiana Democrat switched parties to give Republicans a supermajority in the House for the first time in the state's history. The Republican Party has gained the supermajority there. Uh, as longtime Democratic lawmakers switched parties after nearly 50 years. Representative Francis Thompson served as a Democratic lawmaker in northeast Louisiana for almost 50 years and changed his party registration on Friday. Thompson becomes the 70th, 70th Republican member of the state house. A CNN crew was robbed in San Francisco while reporting on, you guessed it, the spike in crime. The crew was robbed in San Francisco while reporting on the subject, the rampant crime problem. Correspondent um, uh, Kyung La detailed how the crew's rental car was vandalized and their bags stolen, which contained their driver's licenses and passports, while she was conducting an interview for the network. La said that their uh, security guard tried to grab the crooks, but had to resort to just taking a photo of their license plate uh, as um, they were driving away in the getaway car. Hunter Biden has sued John Paul Mac Isaac, After effectively admitting in February that the infamous laptop is indeed his, Hunter Biden has now raised a lawsuit against the computer repair shop owner he left it with, John Paul Mac Isaac. The lawsuit accuses Mac Isaac of six counts of privacy invasion due to his having shared the contents of Hunter Biden's um, laptop with Rudy Giuliani's attorney, Robert Costello, who then shared it with the press. NATO member Turkey was um, used by the Chinese communists to arm Russia. With friends like these, who needs enemies, one might wonder. It's no secret that China has helped arm Russia and its ongoing invasion of Ukraine. However, a recent report obtained by studying the data from Import Genius, which tracks the global shipment of goods, has uncovered the fact that some of the Chinese companies with direct ties to Beijing have been shipping military equipment to the Russians via Turkey. That's right. A member of NATO is effectively aiding Russia, which is at best adversarial toward NATO. The concern now is determining just how heavily involved in the war China is and what is Joe Big Guy Biden going to do about it. Wyoming has banned the abortion pill on Friday. Wyoming became the first state to ban prescription abortion pills. And a reporter ripped outgoing Mayor Lightfoot to shreds Chicago style. 
Authoritarians don't like to have their decisions challenged and soon to be former Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot infamously embodied this tyrannical instinct last year when she pulled the press credentials of reporter William Kelly after he dared to question her over her authoritarian COVID lockdowns. It was a chilling move that should have gotten more press than it did at the time. Well, Kelly might have gotten the last laugh when he addressed Lightfoot at a city council meeting last week. After noting her shutdown of the city, he observed, I never thought in my life that I would ever see the city of Chicago brought down so low as you have managed to bring it down. Shame on you. That is a legacy that you are going to have to carry, end quote. Kelly called for press credentials, power to be removed from the hands of the mayor, and concluded, I hope that after today's city council meeting, uh, you will pack your suitcase and get out of town. He put it a bit more colorfully. You are uh, you are a pandemic, end quote. Well, judging by the recent election results, the majority of Chicagoans apparently agreed with at least a portion of that. I'm going to get this story out of the way. I'm not going to go there. Rachel Levine is optimistic. Uh, child sex change procedures will soon be normalized. And Russia honors the pilots who harassed and ultimately collided with the U.S. drone last week. Egg prices are so high, the popular store Dollar Tree pulled them from their shelves. New York is set to become the first state to ban natural gas in new buildings. And um, Governor Gavin Newsom is under pressure to take executive action on reparations if the California legislature doesn't act. The Bremerton School Board has reached a nearly $2 million settlement with uh, praying football coach Joe Kennedy. And YouTube has um, restored Donald Trump's account. Alex Jones has been concealing money to avoid paying Sandy Hook families $1.5 billion. And there's some debate on whether um, uh, Andrew, who's a NH- NHL player, ever uttered those words, uh, one man uh, with courage making the majority, uh, ever uttered those words, but uh, their meaning is very clear. Another NHL player has stood up for his faith, one such man of courage is James Reimer, a goalkeeper for the National Hockey League San Jose Sharks. As the San Jose Mercury News reports, Reimer, citing his religious beliefs, didn't take part in pregame warm-up Saturday when the Sharks wore jerseys meant to show support for the LGBTQIA plus community. Reimer, who has uh, split time in uh, goal this year um, with another team, watched from the bench as the team lost 4-1 to to the visiting New York Islanders. He also issued a statement that was both powerful and graceful. For all 13 years of my NHL career, I have been a Christian, not just in title, but in how I choose to live my life daily. I have a personal faith in Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for my sins, and in response, asks me to love everyone and to follow him. I have no hate in my heart for anyone, and I have always strived to treat everyone that I encounter with respect and kindness. In this specific instance, I am choosing not to endorse something that is counter to my personal convictions, which are based on the Bible, the highest authority in my life. I strongly believe that every person has value and worth, and the LGBTQIA plus community, like all others, should be welcomed in all aspects of the game of hockey. Um, who could argue with that? Well, you guessed it. Well, on this day in history, 1760, a 10-year uh, fire erupts in Boston, or I should say 10-hour, 10 10-year 10 would be unthinkable, a 10-hour fire erupts in Boston, destroying 349 buildings, burning 10 ships, but claiming no lives. 1854, the Republican Party of the United States is founded by slavery opponents at a schoolhouse in Ripon, Wisconsin. 1942, on this day in history, U.S. Army General Douglas MacArthur, having evacuated the Philippines at the order of President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, 
tells reporters in Australia, I came out of Bataan and I shall return. 1952, the U.S. Senate ratifies, by 66 to 10, a security treaty with Japan. 1976, kidnapped newspaper heiress Patty Hearst is convicted of armed robbery for her part in a San Francisco bank holdup carried out by the Symbionese Liberation Army. Hearst would be sentenced to seven years in prison and released after serving 22 months. President Bill Clinton would pardon her in 2001. 1985, Libby Riddles of Teller, Alaska, becomes the first woman to win the Iditarod Trail dog sled race. 1995, in Tokyo, 12 people are killed, more than 5,500 others sickened when packages containing the deadly chemical sarin are leaked on five separate subway trains by Am Shinrikyo, a cult member, or members, plural. 2004, the U.S. military charges six soldiers with abusing inmates at Abu Ghraib prison. And finally, on this day in history, 2014, the 20th anniversary, uh, President uh, Barack Obama orders economic. Well, this is not the same date I was thinking of, but President Barack Obama orders economic sanctions against nearly two dozen members of Russian President Vladimir Putin's inner circle and a major bank that provides them support, raising the stakes in an east-west showdown over Ukraine. Well, former President Donald Trump said Saturday morning on social media that he expects to be arrested this week. He called for protests to take place as a result. Well, the move comes as New York prosecutor appeared to prosecutors appear to be close to indicting the former president in connection with a hush money payment made to porn actress Stormy Daniels. Trump's former personal attorney and fixer Michael Cohen, who made the payment on Trump's behalf, allegedly testified to the grand jury on Monday. Daniels met with prosecutors Wednesday, but she did not testify in front of the grand jury herself. Illegal leaks from the Manhattan DA's office indicate that with no crime being able to be proven and based on an old and fully debunked by numerous other prosecutions, fairy tale, the uh, far and away leading Republican candidate and former president of the United States of America will be arrested on Tuesday of next week, explained Trump in all caps on Truth Social, his social media site. The former president also called for protesters to take place, protests uh, um, to bring our nation back. Well, the um, uh, Jonathan Turley wrote a rather interesting piece on the subject, and we don't have time to get into it today because I'm almost at the top of the hour. But you can find it. I believe it is the um, Washington Post. Uh, anyway, the scenes from the 100 and, uh, 1931 movie Frankenstein, he compares all of this to. I'll revisit this tomorrow because it's worth hearing. This is his assessment of how likely uh, the president is to be um, found guilty, indicted, arrested, and all of that based on charges that have already passed the statute of limitations. Anyway, we'll return to that sometime tomorrow. We've got news and traffic here at the top of the hour. And when we return, Ray Comfort, why would anyone follow Jesus? 12 reasons to trust what the Bible says about him. All of that and more when we return. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. My next guest asked the question, of all the gods, gurus, and good people out there, why Jesus? Why follow some ancient carpenter turned philosopher from a podunk town in the Middle East, a man whose own people didn't believe in him for the most part? It just doesn't make any sense, or does it? 
Well, with his signature insight and contagious enthusiasm, popular speaker and apologist Ray Comfort, he walks through 12 persuasive reasons to believe in his latest book, Why Would Anyone Follow Jesus? 12 Reasons to Trust What the Bible Says About Jesus. Proving that Jesus of Nazareth was who he said he was and why it matters today. He covers uh, everything from the virgin birth to Jesus' miracles and teachings, including his hard sayings, his detractors, uh, his exclusive claims, and his commands to his followers. Through it all, he shines a light on how Jesus stands out and stands above every other teacher, prophet, or historical figure that's ever been out there. Well, Ray Comfort is an experienced apologist and popular speaker. He's written over 100 books, including Faith is for Weak People and Anyone But Me, a co-host of the award-winning TV program Way of the Master, which airs across the globe. He's the executive producer of several award-winning movies that have been seen by millions. He and his wife, Sue, live in Southern California. He joins us today to talk about his latest book, Why Would Anyone Follow Jesus? Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, let me ask you what motivated you to take up this subject. I mean, obviously, we are living in a what is referred to as a post-Christian era. What motivated you to write on this subject in particular and to put it in such a way? Why would anybody, anyone, follow Jesus? Well, we're very fortunate because of the last two years, people have been thinking about their own mortality like they never have mm-hmm. before. You know, we say young people aren't interested in things of God. It's just because we haven't put it in a way that would make them interested. All I do is say to young people, I go to colleges and just ask them one question. Do you think there's an afterlife? And they say, no, I'm not sure. Well, do you think about it much? And they say all the time. And so it's being put to the forefront of their minds. They're going to die. You know, when I was about nine years old, I used to play cowboys and Indians with my friends. I'd get shot. I'd roll down a hill lie there for 10 seconds and get up. And as time went on, I became a teenager. I thought, hang on, there's a day coming when I'm not going to get up. And I, was, I faced my own mortality. That was what opened my heart to the gospel. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, 15 says that every human being has a haunting fear of death, and it says all their lifetime. And we can tap into that by saying, do you know the Bible says Jesus Christ has abolished death, past tense? and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Did you know that? Did you know the Old Testament, God promised he would destroy death, and the New Testament tells us how he did it? And you see their eyes widen because they've never had anyone talk to them about these issues before, and it's something that Christians need to step up to the plate and learn how to do. Well, this certainly is a book that will help us to uh, articulate our faith and answer these questions that we sometimes aren't even aware that people who are on the edge of faith are asking. So this does a couple of things. It helps equip us um, to respond in an effective way, but also to consider what people are thinking about as we um, encounter those who don't yet know Christ. Now, one of the things that I, uh, one of the features I appreciate about the book is the witnessing encounter that you include in each chapter that gives us a, a glimpse into conversations you've actually had with people on the subject of each one of your chapters. Tell our our listeners a little bit about this feature. Yeah, it's really exciting. By the way, the whole book's written in a New Zealand accent. I deliberately did that. But it's interesting (laughs) to be a fly fly on the wall while someone's getting witness to. You know, my dog uh, follows me. I've I've got him on my bike. He wears sunglasses. He's my bait when I go fishing for men. People come up and say, I love your dog, and I get to talk to them. But I've noticed that he intuitively knows what a cat looks like. I've never shown him a picture of a cat. He also knows what his own looks like, dogs. 
I haven't shown him an encyclopedia of dogs saying this little one here looks like a mouse, but it's a chihuahua. This one here looks like a horse, but it's a great Dane. He intuitively knows his own kind. Cat, he'll growl at it. Dog, he'll be fascinated and wag his tail. And we're the same when we look at human beings. I don't know if you ever watch television and you watch a, a sporting program. They do a zoom up on the crowd, and you're fascinated by all the faces. There's one that looks like Aunt Martha. That guy's got large ears. Look at that. He has there. We're just really fascinated by people. Well, here, we get to sit in like a fly on the wall, the most fascinating conversations you can imagine. People talking about their own fear of death. That's something, you know, when I say to people, are you afraid of dying? It's like your eyes widen. They think, how did he know? I didn't tell my mom about this. I haven't told my brothers and sisters, but there's this fear of death that I've got. Well, you get to hear people talking about the fear of death, these are actual genuine witnessing encounters. They're the cream of our YouTube channel, which, by the way, just passed 193 million views. I'm so excited to have such inroad. Congratulations. Uh, yeah, it's just it's really thrilling. We're very humble and thankful to God for that inroad. But here we have the cream of our witnessing encounters, the transcriptions put in the book, lining up with each chapter, and it's very exciting. In all the encounters that you've had, and I think for many of us, we imagine, man, he's a gifted communicator. He's an apologist. He knows how to engage in conversations. I, I'm reluctant. I'm fearful. Is there a, can you distill a number one reason why people question Jesus? Is there a common thread that seems to run through the hesitation that, that you encounter in your conversations? Yes, because they don't see the danger. If someone doesn't show any interest in a parachute when they're up on a plane 10,000 feet, knowing they have to jump, then you've got to learn to hang them out the plane by their ankles for five seconds, and they'll come back and I'll say, well, where's that, where's that parachute? And so what I do with strangers is I say, do you know what death actually is according to the Bible? They'll say, no, what is it? It's wages. And they'll always repeat what I've said. They say, wages? Yeah, I say, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Very famous Bible verse. In other words, God is paying you in death for your sins. It's like a judge looks at a heinous criminal that's murdered three girls, and he says, Judge, this isn't serious. These were prostitutes. Come of the earth. I was doing society a favor, and the judge says, I'm going to show you how serious your transgression was. We're going to pay you in the death sentence. This is your wages. This is what you've earned. This is what's due to you. And sin is so serious in the eyes of a holy God, he's given us the death sentence. We're on death's row. We are waiting to die. We have a big holding cell with a nice blue roof here in Southern California, good air conditioning, uh, good lighting, but this life is a holding cell. And then I say to people, do you think God is justified in giving the death sentence? Are you that evil? Do you think you're a good person? They'll usually say, well, I think I'm a good person. So let's find out. Let's look at the Ten Commandments for a minute. How many lies have you told? I say, lost. Have you stolen something? Yes. So you're lying, please? Yeah. Do you still think you're a good person? Kind of. Ever use God's name in vain? They say, oh, yeah, bad habit. I say, would you use your mother's name as a cuss word? They say, no. So why not? Well, that would be disrespectful. It would be horrible. I said, yeah, that's true, but you've taken the holy name of God, your creator, the one that gave you a mother and gave you life, a name that godly Jews won't even speak or write down because it's so holy. You've used it as a substitute for the S word. That's called blasphemy, punishable by death in the Old Testament. It's that serious. And I said, one to go. Appreciate your honesty. I said, okay. So Jesus said, if you look with lust, you commit adultery in your heart. Ever look with lust? I said, yeah, well, I do it all the time. I just can't stop it. So, well, what's your name? Eric. Eric, I'm not judging you, but you've told me you're a lying, thieving, blasphemous, adulterate heart. You've earned your wages. 
on judgment day, do you think you'd be innocent or guilty? They say, guilty. <clears throat> Heaven or hell? Well, I'll end up in hell. So what should you do? And that's when you share the good news of the gospel. That Christ took the punishment due to us upon himself. We broke the law. Jesus paid the fine. That means we can lose. We can leave God's courtroom. He can take the death sentence off us all because of the death and resurrection of the Savior. And all people have to do to find everlasting life is repent of sin and trust in Jesus. That is, turn from all sin, don't play the hypocrite, and trust in Jesus like you trust a parachute. So you give them the biblical gospel preceded by the moral law as Jesus did in Mark 10, verse 17, and you'll find the harvest truly is white, ready for, uh, ready for harvesting. We're talking about the book, Why Would Anyone Follow Jesus? 12 Reasons to Trust What the Bible Says About Jesus. And he takes up a number of uh, issues, Jesus and intellectual arguments, Jesus and authority, Jesus and his accusers, Jesus and the lost, atheism, uh, his hard sayings, and much, much more. We'll continue our conversation in just a few moments, but I do need to take a quick break. Once again, my guest is Ray Comfort, and we'll be back in just a few moments. And by the way, uh, he mentioned the YouTube channel that's uh, garnering a great deal of attention. We'll make sure you find out how to uh, to connect with that as well. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing my conversation with Ray Comfort. He's an experienced apologist, popular speaker. He's written over 100 books, and we're talking about one of them today. Why would anyone follow Jesus? Twelve reasons to trust what the Bible says about Jesus. There's a lot of skepticism these days, and a lot of it is focused on who Jesus is and what he uh, what he said about himself and about us. Uh, let me ask you, why do you trust in Jesus? And what do you find as the, the reason that, that generations today struggle with, first of all, believing who Jesus says he is and then trusting him as the scripture says we ought? Well, Jesus is utterly unique in the sense that he is the only person in history who's had the honor, if I can put it there, in that way, of having his name used as a cuss word. Not Napoleon, not Hitler, not Muhammad, not Rasputin, nobody in history except Jesus. And there's a reason for that. Jesus said in John chapter 7, verse 7, the world hates me because I testify that they're evil. But when it comes down to it, there's only one name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The Bible says whoever transgresses and abides not in the doctrine of Christ has not God. So you can look at all the great religions, Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, etc. They do not offer promise of immortality because they're based on what's called works righteousness religion. It's just works righteousness. You have to do something to merit eternal life. The game changer is the moral law, the Ten Commandments, what Jesus used in Mark 10 verse 17 because when you bring the Ten Commandments into it, what's called the moral law, it shows us that God is a judge. The throne is the habitation of righteousness. It shows us that we are criminals standing in a dock, guilty before God. So anything we offer the judge is not good works. It's not religious works. It's not acceptable to God. The Bible says the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination of the Lord. We're in debt to the law. But what Jesus did on the cross was God in human form. Bible says God was manifest in the flesh, and the reason God became a person, the express image of the invisible God, it says of Christ, was to suffer and die on the cross. He paid the fine, we can leave the courtroom. So he is the only one that can give us peace with God because of that payment on the cross. So this is good news for Hindus, for Buddhists, atheists, 
for whosoever will may come. Eternal life is a free gift. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You can't get religious to try and please God. All you can do is trust in his amazing grace. And if I may, um, Georgine, just I'd like to address the subject of atheism because it's risen its head Please. so much in the last few years. Mm-hmm. If you ever meet an atheist, just ask him one question. It will almost certainly make him backslide. And you can see this happen on our YouTube again and again. Just let's ask one question. Someone says, I'm an atheist. Say to them, do you really believe the scientific impossibility that nothing created everything? And their mouth will go like a little road tunnel, and they'll say, oh, well, I don't believe that nothing created everything. There's obviously some sort of thing in the beginning that created it. It just wasn't God. I said, well, let's try and find out why you don't want it to be God. And you find out he's living with his gorgeous girlfriend and feasting his heart on the pleasures of pornography. So it's not an intellectual issue. It's a moral issue. You can't find God for the same reason a thief can't find a policeman. But the miracle of conversion, and this happened in my case, happens in the case of every person who's born again, is that God takes your heart and makes you new on the inside. You'll be born again so that you thirst after righteousness. So you'll want to do that which is right. As a non-Christian for 22 years, I couldn't care less about doing what's right. I did whatever made me feel good. I had no thoughts on abortion, homosexuality, any moral issue until I became a Christian. Instantly, I loved what God loved. Abortion was wrong. Rape was wrong. Murder was wrong. Adultery was wrong. Fornication was wrong. Pornography was wrong. Anything God loved, I loved because he wrote his law upon my heart and caused me to walk in his statutes. That is a personal miracle for every person who's seeking God. Just do exactly what the Bible says. Repent of your sins with a contrite, sorrowful heart and say, God, I trust in Jesus, your God-given Savior for my eternal salvation. And you've got a promise from God in John fourteen twenty-one that God will manifest himself to you, not with voices and bells and whistles, but you'll just have a brand new attitude. It's not something you... You, you do yourself. It's something God does within you. He opens the eyes of your understanding. And everything everything looks different. When I became a Christian, the sky looked different. The trees raised their arms and praised to God. The birds sung his praises in the morning. Everything changed the moment I obeyed the gospel. And that's the gauntlet we throw down to the skeptic. Absolutely. The subtitle of your book is 12 Reasons to Trust What the Bible Says About Jesus. You've just covered one of them. Another in your fourth chapter is Jesus and Exclusivity. Some people are willing to accept the notion that Jesus was a good teacher, that he was a good man, and perhaps he has some some things to offer. But to the, the notion that he is exclusively the way to reconcile to God, he is exclusively the way to deal with this, the issues that you've just discussed, sometimes trips... Um, would-be believers up. Can you address that a little bit in, in the context of uh, sharing faith and why it is that we trust and why we should trust in Jesus? Well, you know, when they sent out the uh, officers to arrest Jesus from reading the gospel, they came back and said, never a man spoke like this man. So when you look at Jesus objectively, his words make no sense. He said this, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming when all that are in their graves shall hear my voice. Now, if he just said, look, one person is going to hear my voice and be raised from the dead, you think, what a nut. But he said every single human being throughout the entire human history is going to hear his voice. He's going to raise the whole dead, as he did with uh, Lazarus, just pulled him out of his grave by saying one word, Lazarus, come forth. And it's going to be a shout of God. 
and that everyone's going to stand before God. And he said that. He said things like, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. He said, I'm the bread of life. He that comes to me shall never hunger. He that believes on me shall never thirst. And so when you look at those words, you've got to say to yourself, this is not the word. These are not the words of a good teacher. These are the words of God in human form or the words of a madman. Because anyone who says the things that Jesus said and can't back them up uh, is truly a madman. And so just just read the gospel. That's all you have to read the gospel of John with an objective attitude, and you'll you'll come away saying, never a man spoke like this man. Never a man said the things that this man did. He also said things like this, and this is a very heavy saying. He said, fear not him who has power to kill your body and afterwards do no more, but fear him, he's talking of God, who has power to kill your body and cast your soul into hell, fear him. Now think of what he just said. You're lying in bed, the door opens, in the darkness you see a man coming to you with a sharp knife. He pulls it back to plunge into your chest. Horror is, is an understatement. Your heart is pounding through your chest. You're dripping with sweat. What a terrifying situation. But Jesus said, oh, don't fear him and kill the body and do no more. Don't fear that guy. But fear him who has power to kill your body and cast your soul into hell. In other words, that scenario is nothing compared to falling into the hands of the living God. The Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. When we use those words, fall into the hands of, you know, like the police, you fall into the hands of the police or you fall into the hands of the enemy, it's saying you're in big trouble. And the Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I'd rather fall into the face of the sun than fall into the hands of God on judgment day. And so you're just trying to scare me. Absolutely. If you were going to jump out of a plane without a parachute, I'd hang you up my ankles and pull you in, hoping you'll see fear as your friend, not your enemy. Mm-hmm. In that case, and the Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Through the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. And if you don't fear God, you haven't begun to get wise. And if you don't fear God, you never depart from your sins. You'll just say, uh, everybody lies, everybody steals, everybody uses God's name in vain. Who doesn't love, spread, and fornicate it? Well, you'll see on Judgment Day, you'll give an account of yourself to a holy God. And that is a fearful thing, and that's why you need a Savior. So see those fears that are coming up in your heart at the moment as being your friend, not your enemy, because they'll drive to the foot of the cross where you can find everlasting life that comes by God's mercy. Once again, the title of the book, Why Would Anyone Follow Jesus? Twelve Reasons to Trust What the Bible Says About Jesus. Just an excellent book. And as I mentioned, there are witnessing encounters that are Uh, following each of the the chapters that are definitely worth reading. We're just about out of time. YouTube channel, where can we find you? Just YouTube, uh, type in Rake for Living, and it'll come up. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a real pleasure. It's my pleasure. Thank you. God bless. God bless. Again, Ray Comfort, why would anyone follow Jesus? You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, after years of judicial activists eradicating religious monuments and expressions of faith on public property because of the lemon test, major victories at the U.S. Supreme Court last year led to the overturning of the legal test have changed the landscape of America. And I wonder if you've noticed. Well, the Lemon Test was binding authority for 51 years. 
with 7,073 references in court opinion and administrative law decisions or other legal writings, as cited by the uh, uh, Thomas Reuters West versus, um, well, some other versus West law. Well, the legal test came out of a ruling in Lemon versus Kurtzman that's been used to determine if a law violates the First Amendment Establishment Clause. Well, the higher court ruled in that case that a Rhode Island law that supplemented salaries of some parochial school teachers was unconstitutional. Well, as a result, Lemon has been used by courts to remove religious symbols and displays from public square since 1971. In fact, Justice Antonin Scalia, joined by Justice Clarence Thomas, wrote in Lamb's Chapel versus uh, Center Morich's Union Free School District regarding that of the high court's invocation of the lemon test was like some ghoul in a late night horror movie that repeatedly sits up in its grave and shuffles abroad after being repeatedly killed and buried, end quote. Well, however, all of that changed last year as a result of two major victories at the U.S. Supreme Court. Well, on May the 2nd of last year, Liberty Council's 9-0 victory at the Supreme Court and Shirtleff versus City of Boston involved censorship of Christian viewpoints regarding flag raisings. The high court unanimously ruled that the City of Boston violated the Constitution by censoring a private flag in a public forum open to all applicants merely because the application referred to it as a Christian flag. Well, the high court unanimously rejected Boston's use of the lemon test to censor Christian viewpoints. Well, in Kennedy versus Bremerton School District, Liberty Council argued in its amicus brief that since the Establishment Clause provides no justification for suppressing Coach Joe's private religious speech uh, to silently pray on the football field after games, the limit te- lemon test rather should be overruled. Then on June 27th of last year, the high court ruled 6-3 to three in favor of the high school football coach and also finally buried the court-made lemon test, citing Liberty Council's 9-0 decision handed down in Shirtliff versus City of Boston involving the Christian flag. Well, the Kennedy ruling stated this court long ago abandoned Lemon and its endorsement test offshoot. In place of Lemon and the endorsements test, this court has instructed that the Establishment Clause must be interpreted by reference to historical practices and understandings, end quote. Well, as a result, the Ten Commandments, uh, for example, can be displayed on government property, including public school classrooms. That means that the 1980 Stone versus Graham Supreme Court decision is no longer valid. In that case, the high court ruled that a Kentucky law requiring that posting of a copy of the Ten Commandments purchased with private contributions on the wall of each public school classroom was unconstitutional and violated the first part of the Lemon uh, decision and the Establishment Clause of the Constitution. Well, the activist 5-4 per a curium opinion in Stone versus Graham was issued without any briefing or oral argument. Incredibly, the court wrote, and I'm quoting, if the posted copies of the Ten Commandments are to have any effect at all, it will be to induce the school children to read, meditate upon, perhaps to venerate and obey the Ten Commandments. However desirable this might be as a matter of private devotion, it is not permissible state objective under the Establishment Clause, end quote. However, Since Lemon has been finally uh, um, banned, uh, students across the nation can read, memorize, and hopefully obey the Ten Commandments. 
Now it would be nice to return to the time prior to the removal of the Ten Commandments from schools when the worst infractions were chewing gum and spitballs, but at least the lemon test has been removed. In addition, other religious symbols, such as crosses, can permanently remain on government property. On June 20th, 2019, even though the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that the Blandisburg Peace Cross, a 40-foot cross honoring those who died during World War I, could remain standing, the high court sidestepped the opportunity to overturn the lemon test. Now, that's in 2019. Liberty Council filed an amicus brief to the high court in support of the 93-year-old war memorial in Blandensburg, Maryland, that the American Humanist Association challenged as violating the Establishment Clause and discriminating against patriotic soldiers who are not Christian. Well, since the lemon test is now dead and the Establishment Clause must be interpreted according to its historical intent, All the crosses that uh, relied on lemon are no longer valid, including uh, cases that struck down Ten Commandment displays, nativity scenes or other religious symbols. In fact, Justice Sonia Sotomayor, dissenting in Kennedy versus Bremerton School District, wrote the court overrules lemon with Kurtzman and calls into question decades of subsequent precedents that it deems offshoots of that decision. Now, this is very significant. This is the um, the justice that's more on the left, Sonia Sotomayor. The court overrules Lemon uh, versus Kurtzman and calls into question decades of subsequent precedents that it deems offshoots of that decision. Well, Liberty Council's founder and chairman Matt Staver said the decisions from the Supreme Court involving the Christian flag and Coach Kennedy send a clear message that the Lemon test has finally been buried and government must not discriminate on religious viewpoints. The Ten Commandments, nativity scenes, crosses, religious symbols, displays, expressions, uh, meetings and performances can no longer be brushed aside. No longer can courts divorce America from religious freedom or the First Amendment from its origins and historical purposes. Now, just to hearkening back to Coach Kennedy, who just last week was reinstated at the uh, school where he served as an assistant coach. This was months after winning at the Supreme Court, the uh, uh, the the coach, a public high school assistant football coach in Washington state who was dismissed for praying on the field after games, has finally been reinstated. Well, coach Kennedy, who the Bremerton School District punished for praying on the field after games in 2015, has been reinstated as a football coach. The legal group First Liberty Institute said in a statement last week, um, and that has now been settled. We are thrilled that Bremerton and Coach Kennedy are back together, and we hope they go undefeated. The group's executive general counsel, Hiram Sasser, wrote, As a devout Christian, Kennedy maintained a practice of going to the 50-yard line after games and kneeling in prayer, often with fans and players joining him unsolicited. A uh, joint stipulation filed in court last October by attorneys representing Kennedy in Bremerton School District stated that the coach would be reinstated to his former position as an assistant coach by March 15th of this year. Well, the school district initially suspended the coach for refusing to stop praying on the field. The school district believed that his prayer violated the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. Well, Kennedy sued the school district in 2016, accusing it of violating his religious freedom. In 2017, a three-judge panel of the U.S. Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled against the coach, and the U.S. Supreme Court initially refused to hear an appeal of the case in 2019. Then in March of 2021, a three-judge circuit court panel again ruled against Coach Kennedy. 
In January of last year, the U.S. Supreme Court agreed to hear Kennedy's case. A month later, the school district filed a request to dismiss the case by claiming that the case was moot because Kennedy moved to Florida. However, Kennedy's legal team clarified that the coach temporarily relocated to care for a sick family member. So last June, the justices ruled in Kennedy's favor with a 6-3 decision. Kennedy prayed during a period when school employees were free to speak with a friend, call for a reservation at a restaurant, check email, or attend to other personal matters. He offered his prayer quietly while his students were otherwise occupied. Still, the Bremerton School District disciplined him anyway, wrote Justice Neil Gorsuch for the majority. Both the free exercise and the free speech clauses of the First Amendment protect expressions like Mr. Kennedy's. The Constitution and the best of our traditions counsel mutual respect and tolerance, not censorship and suppression for religious and non-religious views alike. Well, Kennedy responded to his victory, saying that all he wanted was to be back on the field with my guys. I am incredibly grateful to the Supreme Court, my fantastic legal team, and everyone who has supported us, he said in a statement. I thank God for answering our prayers and sustaining my family through this long battle. Again, that decision um, having much to do with the overturn of the Lemon Test which now uh, allows the Constitution to be interpreted as it was intended in its historical context, and that the free expression and the free exercise of religion is no longer impeded by the state. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment to wrap things up. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. Just to give you a bit of a heads up, tomorrow we'll talk with Brooke McLaughlin, author of Everyday Prayers for Peace, a 30-day devotional and reflective journal for women. That's coming up tomorrow on the program. On Thursday, Carrie Holt, co-author of The Other Side of Special, this is a special needs parent. We'll uh, talk with uh, her about that on Thursday. Well, gender ideology is so pernicious, it turns the basic nature of parenting upside down. So writes Tyler O'Neill. He points out that this week, Minnesota Lieutenant Governor Peggy Flanagan, a Democrat, said it is a grown-up's job to listen to a child's self-declared identity and believe it. When our children tell us who they are, it is our job as grown-ups to listen and to believe them, Flanagan said. That's what it means to be a good parent. End quote. I'll pause for a moment for those of you who are parents to consider whether or not that's how you see it. Well, Flanagan said this um, after Minnesota Governor Tim Walz, also a Democrat, signed an executive order declaring uh, the uh, land of 10,000 lakes trans refuge state for transgender people, including children seeking experimental medical interventions. Minnesota's lieutenant governor defended a life-affirming and life-saving health care medical interventions to set children on a path that will leave them stunted, scarred, and infertile. Well, this health care, in quotes, starts with a so-called puberty-blocking drug such as Luprin, which, which um, authorities use to chemically castrate sex offenders and which the U.S. Food and Drug Administration hasn't approved for kids with gender dysphoria and proceeds to cross-sex hormones that place children at greater risk of cancer and osteoporosis. Now, these hormones also introduce bizarre secondary sex characteristics that are irreversible, such as the lowering of a girl's voice and the shrinking of male sex organs. Now, studies show that kids who identify with the gender opposite their biological sex 
most likely will grow to identify with their biological sex without these medical interventions. Yet uh, social affirmation of a transgender identity and interventions such as these set kids on a path towards surgeries to remove breasts, Adam's apples, and more. Well, these surgeries often have complications, but even without complications, they result in sterilization and the replacement of healthy sex organs with facsimiles that are often ugly and ineffective and which often require the removal of skin from other places in the body. Also, there's no evidence that these medical interventions help children over the long term. A recent study claiming to find some positive effects from cross-sex hormones over a two-year period was fatally flawed because it didn't use a control group to compare the results of cross-sex hormones against mere psychological counseling, didn't follow up with everyone in the study, and took place at hospitals that uncritically championed gender ideology. That's not just an opinion. It's the official stance of the medical organization, Do No Harm. Now, it's nothing short of gaslighting to call these grotesque procedures life-affirming, and uh, no parent should willingly subject their sons or daughters, their children, to such abuse. It is a grown-up's job to set children straight about the truth of the world they live in. It is a parent's job to protect kids from the dangerous side effects of the delusion that a boy can really be a girl or vice versa. It's a parent's job to ground children by teaching them that biological sex is real and that while some boys may want to play with dolls and some girls may want to uh, play with monster trucks, they remain boys and girls nonetheless. It's a grown-up's job to tell the truth, even if it hurts. If a daughter tells me uh, she thinks she's really a boy, it's not my job to turn reality upside down to cater to her whims. The job of an adult is the exact opposite. The job is to love her, to accept her as she is, not as she pretends herself to be. It's also a grown-up's job to protect vulnerable girls from males who may claim to identify as females in order to prey on victims in women's spaces. It's also a grown-up's job to ensure a fair competition in sports when males claim to identify as females to gain competitive advantage. Finally, it's a grown-up's job to tell people like Peggy Flanagan, the uh, lieutenant governor, that while we uh, should treat people who identify as transgender with respect, we must remain grounded in reality ourselves, protecting children from false and destructive ideologies and crafting policy around biological realities, not nebulous gender identity. And then there was a, a reporter who warned Stanford students that free speech, at least the uh, double standard that they ever expressed, could become mainstream among lawyers and judges. And that has many concerned. Well, protesters demanded the Washington Free Beacon redact their names from an article uh, outlining what happened at Stanford Law School as they protested. A Washington Free Beacon reporter Aaron, uh, I think it's Siberian, um, uh, weighed in on the Stanford Law students' uh, demands to keep their identities anonymous after they heckled a conservative judge. Well, the Stanford Law School protesters faced criticism after heckling a Trump-appointed U.S. Circuit Court Judge Kyle Duncan, during an event on campus and for plastering the names and faces of of campus Federalist Society members all over the school last week and yet demanded their own anonymity. Now they're demanding their names be redacted from a Washington Free Beacon report covering the incident, arguing that keeping their names public could invite abuse and harassment, something they had little concern about when they posted the names of their fellow students. Aaron Siberium, a reporter for the Free Beacon, said, not so fast. Our reaction was, no way, we're not going to do that. 
he was speaking to Fox News. Um, he said, Will can uh, on us. Uh, Fox News' Will Kane on Sunday, he said, for one reason, they just uh, have no reasonable right of expectation of an anonymity, given that they were caught on tape and protesting in a highly public forum. The other thing, too, is that they didn't just shout down a sitting federal judge. They also posted the names and faces of every member of the Stanford Federalist Society, every board member who helped invite him, he said. They posted those names and faces around the school in a concerted effort to shame their peers and pressure them out of hosting the event. Siberium said Stanford National Lawyers Guild board member Lily Bow's request to remove her name and the names of others came shortly after the Free Beacon published a report publicizing them. Those exact students who plastered conservative students' names on campus emailed me to say, oh, by naming us, uh, naming us in this story, you're ginning up harassment. So it's really um, quite hypocritical, he went on to say. Well, he also tweeted last Thursday that a request from a uh, Mary Kate Hickman demanded the face of a student in um, a red hoodie uh, be, I guess that the word is anonymized. You make someone anonymous because California is a two-party consent state. Well, Hickman alleged the Free Beacon had no right to publish the student's identity without consent. Well, it's quite concerning. A key precondition of the the rule of law is that the law applies equally to everyone. And yet these students seem to think that the rules don't apply to them. He also blasted the double standard of protesters demanding their names be revoked from reports while they sought to publicly shame their conservative counterparts for engaging in free expression by hosting Duncan at the on-campus event. It's antithetical to the rule of law. Pretty soon, I think, the double standard is going to be more mainstream among lawyers and judges, he went on to say. And again, we're talking about a law school where they, at some point in the future, will be the future attorneys and judges. And if this is a standard that they're willing to support uh, while in law school, it is not uh, too far-fetched to imagine that this could ultimately go mainstream. All right, we are out of time. I want to thank James Blend for engineering portions of today's program and producing Sam Moppin for engineering the remainder of today's program. And also want to remind you, coming up tomorrow, Brooke McLaughlin, Everyday Prayers for Peace, a 30-day devotional and reflection, a reflective journal for women. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.